0: ...getting us together today in the Word. Um, Something else, it's also a great privilege to get to use this uh, microphone thingy. It's really cool. Um, If you find me later on today, I'll probably be out in the the streets directing traffic, like air traffic controller, using this thing. Um, You know, my uh, classroom, I'm a high school teacher... I teach Spanish at Braintree High School. And uh, so my classroom is sort of the running joke amongst teachers. Uh, Some teachers have, you know, LCD projectors mounted on the wall. And some have these smart boards. Um, And, of course, I'm just stuck with my old chalkboard, writing with chalk. And I have an old uh, overhead projector that's fallen a bunch of times. So there I'm writing, and it's crooked. So my students have to turn their heads to to read and take notes. Um, but it is what it is. Uh, but one of the things I really enjoy about teaching is that there's never a dull day. Um, there's always something interesting going on at school, and that's not always, you know, positive things. Sometimes it's issues with students, but it's never dull. And um, One of the things that I've had to learn um, in order to teach effectively is to be, you know, to understand the way that teenagers talk when they they try to communicate with me. So I need to try to communicate with them. Just to give you an idea what I'm talking about, these are uh, some excerpts from actual essays, English essays, not in Spanish, but um, you'll see what I mean. The pyramids are a range of mountains between France and Spain. The Egyptians built the pyramids in the shape of a huge triangular cube. The Bible is full of interesting caricatures. In the first book of the Bible, Guinness, Adam and Eve were created from an apple tree. One of their children, Cain, asked, Am I my brother's son? God asked Abraham to sacrifice Abraham on Mount Montezuma. Jacob, son of Isaac, stole his brother's birthmark. Jacob was a patriarch who brought up his 12 sons to be patriarchs, but they did not take to it. One of Jacob's sons, Joseph, gave refuse, R-E-F-U-S-E, to the Israelites. Moses led the Hebrew slaves to the Red Sea where they made unleavened bread, which is bread made without any ingredients. Afterwards, Moses went up to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. He died before he ever reached Canada. David was a Hebrew king skilled at playing the lyre, L-I-A-R. He fought with the Finkelsteins, a race of people who lived in biblical times. Solomon, one of David's sons, had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. So as you can see, it's always interesting And now, of course, I mean, this is in the written essays. Now I have to be able to decode text messaging as well. Students would just come up to me and say, JK, not supposed to know what that means. That means just kidding, right? Or LOL, laugh out loud. List goes on. So I have to learn to communicate with my students and understand them when they communicate with me. So the question this morning is, how does God communicate with us? And when He communicates with us, what does He say? So the text I'm going to open up this morning is Psalm 19. That's on page 541 in the Purack Bibles, Psalm 19. So I'm going to read, the heavens declare the glory of God." The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, He has pitched a tent for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Oh, Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for for yesterday, for Christmas. God, we thank you that you came to be with us, Lord, to save us. And Lord, I thank you for the privilege to, to share your word, to open your word. But Lord, who am I? I'm just a a sinful man in need of a Savior. But Lord, I thank you for your grace and mercy. And Lord, I pray that every word from my mouth today and every meditation of my heart may be pleasing in your sight. Lift this up to you and I pray this through your name, Christ Jesus. Amen. So, as I look at this psalm, I see it broken up into three parts. The first part... Is that God communicates with us? He reveals himself to us through his creation. The second part, I see that God speaks to us, communicates with us through his word. And the third part is in light of the first part, God revealing himself to us in his creation, and the second part, revealing himself to us through his word. The third part is what is my reaction? What should be my reaction? to the first two parts. So let's start with God's creation. You know, one of the things, um, you know, in Scripture, if something is repeated, generally that means it's important. So here we see all these words having to do with voice and language. Verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Verse 2, day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. Verse 3, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Verse 4, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So God speaks to us. Through his word. He reveals himself to us, or excuse me, through his creation. He reveals himself to us through his creation. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. God speaks to us through His creation. You know, this past summer, I went to Montana with a youth group. And, you know, here in Massachusetts, it says on our license plate, it says, most license plates, it says the Bay State. Well, in Montana, they call their state Big Sky. I mean, I've heard of this, but, I, you know, it's like, what's the big deal with Big Sky? It sounds interesting. But... uh when I went out to Montana this summer, I got it. I remember one evening, we, uh, we drove to these uh, waterfalls called Great Falls, huge waterfalls. And it was right at the sunset in our group. I remember it was, it was just, it was incredibly beautiful, it was spectacular. And we sang, How Great Thou Art, you know, right there as with the sunset, the waterfalls. And uh, it was just spectacular. But one of the things, too, that really just um, grabbed my attention was on our way to get there, we're driving, and there is, is just plains as far as the eye can see, no houses, nothing, just plains, a great expanse, and in the distance there's mountains, you know, and, and you're at altitude anyway. Often, if you've ever been at altitude, something you just feel like the sky is closer to you, um, And so I got it. The big sky. It was just so vast. It was so awesome. And God speaks to us through His creation. You know, here it says, um, it says in verse 4, In the heavens He has pitched a tent. Imagine, so we see the heavens, the big sky. Imagine a tent over that. It's a big tent. Right? You know, it makes me think also, Isaiah 40 verse 12, it says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? So in the summer here, I like to go to the beach, and normally we just go to Nantasket, it's the closest beach. Sometimes I remember this verse, and I try to imagine this giant hand just going in the waters and just scooping it out. Imagine how big that hand has to be. God is just awesome. He speaks to us through His creation. Um, so one of the things, you know, I talk about there's never anything, there's never a dull moment in teaching. Well, my students, they, uh, they try to get me off task sometimes. You guys never did that, I'm sure. Um, but they know the way that they can get me off task is by asking questions about the Bible or about God, or about Jesus. And the most common question that I'm asked is, do you really believe God created this? Don't you believe that there was this big bang, and then, you know, we all just evolved from, from monkeys? Um, that's the most common question. And uh, so, I say, yes, I do believe that God created us. You know, there's something that uh, Big Bang and random selection just cannot answer. And that's the beauty, the beauty of the creation. You know, I've traveled, I've traveled a lot in the world, but I tell you, one of my absolute just favorite sights is New England in the fall. You know, as I drive, I'm amazed that I have not gotten in any car accidents in October. Um, and my wife can uh, testify. You know, so I'm there driving, you know, on a Sunday afternoon or whatever, and I just poke her in the shoulder, hey Did you see that tree? And I say, Did you see that one? See this one? And then I totally forget that I'm driving. I'm just looking at the trees. Because it's just so beautiful. God speaks to us through his creation. He's revealed himself to us through his creation. If I were to take a Rembrandt and just Not stolen, just right here, and take a Rembrandt and say, Look at this. And you would all look at it and say, Wow, that's a great painting. It would not even occur to you, you know. In other words, you you would instinctively, you would just know that an artist painted that painting. You wouldn't think, No, uh, it just sort of appeared. No, you know that there has to be an artist behind that painting. So if I were to say to you, no, actually, what really happened, I took some cans of paint and I put them on the floor and I took a stick of dynamite and I just blew it up and I got this. right? You would just, you would just know that I'm crazy. That that's, no, that cannot be. So it is with creation. God's, God has placed His, his beauty. God has, has spoken to us through the creation in so many levels. We could go to the stars, you know, all the way down to, you know, little cells. God is just, His, His voice is speaking to us through His creation. So yesterday was Christmas, and I love the Christmas season. And uh, one of the things, I don't know if you watch, like, say, the Christmas story, was on TV, 24 hours straight, but another movie that was on was uh, Scrooged. It's a modern adaptation of uh, Christmas Carol with Bill Murray. And uh, so last night I was watching it, and one of the things that struck me, you know, when Scrooge has his transformation in the end, you know, he's filled with Christmas spirits, you know, and what does that mean? He said, oh, kindness, you know, love your neighbor, giving gifts, um, helping the poor. And these are all important things. This is the second commandment, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? But when I think of God's creation, you know, love your neighbor is the second commandment. What is the first and greatest commandment? Is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Right? When we look at God's creation, we should just be filled with awe. God is speaking to us through His creation. Worship the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And we also need to keep the second commandment. So, moving on, verse 7. God speaks to us through His Word. The law, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Perfect. You know, uh, the Psalms are, is Hebrew poetry. And a common literary device in Hebrew poetry is to repeat the same idea from slightly different angles to emphasize the main point. So we see this here. And it's also sort of a cause-effect relationship. The cause is God's Word, and then we'll look into the effects. So verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Verse 8, The precepts of the Lord are right. The commands of the Lord are radiant. Verse 9, The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. So we see God's Word is good. It is perfect. Right? And let's look at the effects. So we have God's Word. What does following God's Word, being in God's Word, what is the effect that it brings? Verse 7, it revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. Verse 8, it gives joy to the heart, gives light to the eyes. Verse 11, in keeping them in God's laws, there is great reward. These are all good things. Who does not want these things? Who doesn't want... Light for your eyes. Who doesn't want a revived soul? All of these things are good. And yet, if I had a dollar for every time one of my students complained about the rules at school, you know, why can't I use my cell phone in class? Why do I have to take off my hat? Why can't I chew gum and stick it under the table? Why can't I do these things? If I had a dollar for every time One of my students complained about a rule. My million dollar teaching salary would become two million (laughs) dollars. They complain a lot. And if you look at society today, you know, popular songs, popular music, movies, right? Um, Who are the ones that are idolized by our youth? The ones who break free of the rules and they do it their way, right? James Dean, Rebel without a cause. You know, rap music. Rap music is popular with kids, but if it doesn't have that parental advisory sticker on the cover, it's not legit. It has to be defiant, defying authority. You know, we don't want the rules. We make our own rules. So we see this big disconnect, you know. Psalm 19, it says... All these good things that the law of God, the Lord, brings. Revives the soul. Makes wise the simple. You know, we've we've discussed these. And yet society looks at the laws as something to be broken. I need to break free. So what's going on here? Well, first of all, I think we see in society, I think, you know, it's a reflection of our hearts. We are sinful in nature. Right? Basically, we're telling God, God... I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way, the way I want it, how I want it, when I want it. End of story. I can be a better God for my life than you can. Right? And we see this. Right? We see this in society. We see this in ourselves. We are sinful people in need of a Savior. Right? This world is broken in rebellion to the living God. And then we look at God's Word and what are some of the characteristics of God's Word that enables it to do these things? First of all, the author of, God, of God's Word is God Himself. In 2 Timothy 3.16 it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It doesn't say a verse here, a verse there. It says, All Scripture We can't pick and choose which of the scripture we think is inspired by God. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. So God is the author of his word. You know, the other thing is that the word of God is often compared to a sword. Right? Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When we look in Ephesians, the spiritual armor, Ephesians 6, what is the one weapon that we have? It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, some people... Uh, romantics, they like to, ooh, look at that sword. It's all shiny. I'm going to buy that. I'm going to put it on my mantle and we can look at it and see how shiny it is. Um, but that's not the purpose of a sword. Okay, I, have, I have three boys. I can't speak for, for daughters, but um, my boys know what a sword is for. Uh, anything that's sort of resembling a sword, they know, ooh, this would be a good sword. You know, like one of the best examples. So we're playing wiffle ball in the backyard, and you know, so they hit it, and I go, I, of course, I have to go get the ball. So then I go to get it, and I turn my back, and there they are, wiffle ball bats, full hand to hand combat. Okay. Kids know what swords are for. There's really only two uses of a sword one is to attack, and the other is to defend. A sword is not meant to be put on the mantle. I mean, today we do it, but that's not its real purpose. A sword is a thing of action. God's Word is not stagnant. It's not idle. God's Word is active. It's living and active. Let's look at these um, once again. What are the the effects that God's Word brings? Verse 7 again, it revives the soul makes wise the simple, gives joy to the heart, gives light to the eyes, gives great reward. These aren't stationary things. These are actions. These are actions that God's Word brings. It does. God's Word is doing this. God's Word is alive and active. In Isaiah 55, verse 11, it says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word, God puts His power in His Word and it's constantly at work. And before we move on, I think it's important to say, just as you know, God's Word is not idle, you know... There's really no, there's no middle ground with God's Word. We either choose to obey God's Word or we choose to disobey God's Word. You can't be, you know, I'm going to sit on the fence. Yeah, sort of. Okay? You know, God in Galatians said, God, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. We can choose to follow, to try to follow God's Word. And this doesn't mean that, you know, I'm a sinful man. I cannot follow God's Word perfectly. But I'm going to try to follow God's Word and God will help me to try to follow His Word. But the opposite is to reject God's Word and I'm not even trying. I just turn, God wants me to go there, I'm going to go over here. I've rejected God's Word. This this is our sinful hearts. And of course, the wages of sin is death, but praise God, the gift of of God is eternal life for all those who believe. So God's Word, God speaks to us through His creation, God speaks to us through His Word. So the final part then is what is our response supposed to be to this? It's important to note that David, you know, God inspired David to write this psalm. And the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And I, I find that just amazing because, you know, David committed some terrible sins. He had some terrible things in his life. Murder, adultery, you know. He was a sinful man. And yet, God calls him a man after his own heart. And I think we see some you know, explanation why in the response here. You see, you know, when we realize the greatness of God, when we're in His Word, we're convicted of our own inadequacy, there's really only one appropriate response to this, and that's to bow down and humble ourselves before the living God. When we're confronted with the true greatness of God... I'm not God. God is God. I'm inadequate. The very first thing we realize is our need for forgiveness and repentant heart. Notice in verse 12, it says, Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. See, David, he got it. He understood he's sinful, especially in the presence of God. And so he realized he needed, he needed to repent. You know, in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, it says, This is the one I esteem. He was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You know, we think, you know, yesterday we celebrated Christmas And we praise God that He came to save us. We know that the blood of the cross will cleanse us. But first, before this, we must have truly repentant hearts. We see in the Bible that repentance always precedes salvation. We have to go before God and say, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner, I'm inadequate, I try to follow your law, but I fall short. I stumble. Forgive me. We have to have repentant hearts before the Lord. And of course, we, we praise God that, that we know his, his blood will cleanse us. He promises us this. And verse 14. You know, as uh, the snow later on will come in and You'll be sitting at home, you know, drinking your hot chocolate and eating leftover Christmas cookies. Think of something to do. I recommend that you try to memorize this verse, verse 14. It's such a great verse. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, so David, he got it. He understood, I need to repent I'm sorry. But then it doesn't stop there. We need to try to live out our lives to please the Lord. Even though, yes, we may stumble along the way, but when that happens, we come before the Lord again, we repent. But David understood. He wanted to please God in his heart. He wanted to please God with his walk. How many times have you been hurt by things that people have said? sarcastic remarks about your performance, your job. Or how many times have you hurt somebody with your tongue? Sometimes our tongue is our own worst enemy. David understood this. May the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. But I love how this goes deeper. You know, the Pharisees, if you just looked at them from the outside, you would would think... Oh yeah, they've got it together. You know, they do the right things. They might say the right things. They know the prayers. But their hearts were like unwashed dishes, unwashed cups. That's why Jesus was so critical of them. Their hearts, the meditations of their hearts did not please God. Remember, God wants broken and contrite spirits. Contrite meaning repentant you know, spiritual pride is not repentance. God wants us humble, broken before Him. And that's what the Pharisees weren't. So, God knows our hearts. In Psalm 139, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The answer is nowhere. God created us. He knows everything that's in our hearts. There's nothing that we can sort of put aside, in our little secret thing that, that we don't want to tell anybody. God knows it. God knows our hearts. There's all the more reason to come before Him with a repentant heart and ask for forgiveness. And there's one more way also that God speaks to us. Of course, that's through His Son. Jesus Christ. I love how in John John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. I love how it describes Jesus as being the living Word. Right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And of course, the Word became flesh. And it goes on later in verse 12 to say, Yet to all who received Him, to all who believed in His name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's as if God is saying, you know, Okay, I reveal myself to you in my creation. You don't get it? I reveal myself to you in my word. You don't get it? Okay, I will come with my son. I will reveal myself to you through my son, Jesus Christ. And one final thought is that there will be another time That God will speak to us. Only this time it won't be through, you know, divine revelation. In the book of Revelation it talks about how all of us will one day come before, face to face, the living God. In the end. In the final judgment. And what will God say to us? Do we come before God with a repentant and broken heart, broken spirit? Contrite and broken spirit. We thank God that He says in His Word, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's not too late. We can repent. We can repent right now in our hearts and call on the name of the Lord our Christ, our, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, my God, I thank you for just how you speak to us. Lord, I praise you that um, you don't wait for us to get our act together. Lord, you died for us, you died for me while you were still, while I was still a sinner. I thank you for that. God, I thank you for, uh, for the cross and just your just tremendous love. Love that knows no end. So, Lord, we lift this up to you. And we praise you and we love you and we worship you, the living God. Through your name, Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.